one. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to my show. If you're new, my name is Allison, and you can find me on Instagram at a devotional heart. I also have just started a telegram chat, a group chat, a private chat for women who are either baptized Orthodox or catechumen or just inquiring about the faith. So if you're interested in joining us, we're going to do a monthly call on Zoom and um, you can reach out to me on Instagram, a devotional heart. Today, my guest is Mia. We'll call her Mia H because as you know, I have another guest named Mia who has been on my show several times. So um, my guest has a blog, which she will be talking about. And um, she's a wife, a cradle Orthodox, and I'm so excited to get to know her. And this is our first time chatting. We met on Instagram, and I'm just so happy you're here. Mia, welcome to the show. Hi, Allison. Thank you so much for having me on. It's a pleasure. So Mia is one of the new members in the Telegram group, and I'm so happy to have her there. I um, One of the things I really want to start talking about more on this show and on Instagram is femininity and just... Um, being a woman in the faith, discovering the beauty of this gift of orthodoxy, um, just following God and finding more and more wisdom, truth, and beauty in the ancient faith. And I could tell right away um, from Mia's Instagram that she is exactly this kind of woman. And then when I read her blog, I was even more excited to have her here today, and she's going to share a little bit about her life, about what she knows about death at such a young age, and um, just about the beauty of orthodoxy and marriage. So Mia, where would you like to start? Um, I guess I'll start with my upbringing since I am cradle orthodox. Um, my father is an immigrant from Romania. Um he grew up in communist Romania. There were a lot of restrictions on religion. Um, luckily that was in the bigger cities. He and my grandparents lived in one of the villages further out. So they weren't as greatly impacted, but, um, when they came over here to America, they were working a lot. They still took my father and his sisters to church. However, they, there wasn't as big of an emphasis on being Orthodox as there was being Romanian. Um, my mom grew up Catholic. Um, she was taken to church by her very devout Catholic grandmother. Um, and then when she married my father, she decided to convert. And her conversion process, um, you know, her chrismation was very different than the ones that we typically see today. Um, she didn't really necessarily go through the whole catechumen process like people normally do. Um, she didn't pick out a saint uh, like a patron saint. Uh, and there wasn't necessarily a big service held for her. She didn't even have uh, a godparent, really. Um, it was just the priest, my father, and my mom in the church. He chrismated her, and that was that, and she was Orthodox. So um, it's just interesting to see how that process has come so far in the past 30 years-ish. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, since my mom converted, we were born, baptized, grew up Orthodox. And I don't know, being 
it's weird because we live in not only a state, but the counties that I've lived in, in the state, have uh, had an abundance of Orthodox churches. I know that in the county I live in right now, there are four different Orthodox churches, which, you know, sometimes people are lucky if there's even one. Mm -hmm. But it's weird to have so many Orthodox churches in the area and to not know many Orthodox people, especially when I was growing up. Um, There were a couple that went to our school. We never really talked to them that much. Um, And a lot of the churches in our area too, they were all ethnic and they had a lot of older parishioners. So I think that probably had something to do with it. Um, So growing up, it was me and my two younger sisters Um, I always like to joke with my parents that they didn't necessarily raise, you know, girls, they just raised kids because, you know, we grew up just as rambunctious as boys, you know, just as dainty as any girls. Um, so it was just weird. We never really knew, we of course knew the gender roles that we would play when we grew up. Um, but like, we never felt stifled I guess kind of both things were expected of us we were expected to you know be homemakers as well as pursue our education and to be independent so did you um when you're talking about being a child being an orthodox child did you know other children who were western christians like baptists or Presbyterian or anything? And did they think the icons and the ways that you worship God was kind of odd or strange? I mean, did you ever run into that? Um, I ran into it here and there. Um, it wasn't as difficult for me because the community I grew up in was largely Catholic mm. and I even went to Catholic school for a short period of time. So, oh, okay. That um, Um, It was kind of nice to not even necessarily be looked at as being weird, just being different. Um, And even when I was in high school, I still went to the Christian club and I still hung out with my Methodist and Baptist and Catholic friends. And I still talk to a lot of them to this day. So. That's great. That's really cool. Yeah. It's great. And I I guess it's not a story that a lot of people have. Mm, No. (laughs) No. Um, and then, okay. So if, if there's more about your childhood, you want to talk about, that's great, but I'm really curious to know a little bit about how you got into working in a morgue. Oh yes. Okay. So, um, being that my parents expected us all to, you know, be able to cook and clean as well as to be able to hold a job and provide for ourselves. Um, they really pushed me hard into the sciences, uh, which, you know, wasn't looking back on it. It wasn't necessarily my first choice, but I was good at it and I didn't enjoy the majority of what I learned. So I ended up going to an engineering school, um, out in Flint, Michigan, and I joined their newly formed biology program. So my background is in biology and I started off just wanting to do lab work, just put me in a lab, let me, you know, 
grow up my bacteria, run my tests, all that fun stuff. Um, I got accepted into a scholarship program where I was able to do research for three months paid, you know, learn a lot, build my skills. Um, I did that and I hated it because at the end of my three months of experimentation, it turns out that one of the biological reagents that we ordered from a specific company didn't end up working and rendered all of that work completely useless. Oh no. So um, at that point in time, I just said, no, I don't have the patience for this. I don't want to spend another three months redoing all of this. Um, so luckily this university also has a co-op program. So three, every three months on and off, you're either at school or you're at work. So during my three month work rotations, I started to work as a medical scribe. I started off in a family practice. Um, I slowly moved into the hospital setting. So I worked in the neonatal intensive care unit first. Um, that was difficult to say the least. Um, I mean, it, it had some really happy moments and there were also some really rough moments that, you know, I had to deal with. Um, and I mean, that was, it was a good learning experience for sure. Not only academically, because I got to spend a lot of time with the residents and the attending physicians, and I got to go on grand rounds and listen to a wide variety of different speakers. But um, I don't know, it also just helped me, it helped remind me of my humanity and not to just see people as, to see the living icon of Christ within people. You know, because I think a lot of times we forget that. We forget, you know, that, Each and every one of us is the image and likeness of God. And it's so easy whenever someone is rude or annoying or, you know, if, if someone is just bothering you, it's so easy to just shut that part of your heart out that is able to see that. And it was very humbling and it was very good for me to kind of you know, reconnect that part of my heart to my brain. Wow. Um, and that, that was just the NICU. Um, from there, I got interested in working in the emergency room, you know, moving more towards a medical path. I said, okay, I appreciate the fact that, you know, these doctors take care of these infants day in and day out, form connections with them and their parents but I don't know if I can handle that personally. So I took a liking to the ER, you know, patients come in, you treat them, they leave. Mm -hmm. Um, so I started rounding with an ER doctor and, you know, that was fun. It was third shift. So I got to see all of the crazy things come in, car accidents, stabbings, shootings, all sorts of different medical emergencies. And we were a level one trauma center. So if someone went to a different hospital in the county, they ended up getting sent to us anyways. So there were a lot of crazy things that happened. And it, you know, the same way with the NICU, there were some highs and there were some lows. There was one night we were actually able to save a mother and her unborn child. 
And that was fantastic Wow! <laughs> to, to be able to be a part of something like that. Mm-hmm. And then, um, oddly enough, they were looking for a medical scribe to help the medical examiners take their notes and deal with their documentation in the morgue. And at the time we had the morgue um, still attached to the hospital where I worked. So I went in to do some shadowing to see if I would be okay with it. Uh, And oddly enough, I was in rounding in the ER that night. We had a car crash victim come in. I saw them doing compressions you know, trying to save this man's life. And the next morning I go in to shadow with the morgue and he's there. And that was jarring for me, Mm -hmm. you know, not even 12 hours later, seeing a man fighting for his life to seeing him dead. Mm -hmm. Um, It really shook me. And to be honest, I'm surprised I even agreed to continue a lot of it was just me pushing headwise, you know, oh, this is a good learning experience. You can learn so much from this. This will, you know, this will strengthen you. This will teach you. I guess I hoped it would harden me and it really did the opposite. Um, Because in the Morgan, even in the ER, a lot of the doctors and nurses they kind of have to shield themselves from the situations that are occurring around them because otherwise you would go home grief stricken every single day. Right. So, you know, obviously these people had to build up those sorts of barriers and, you know, I worked in the ER for about three months and I worked in the board for six months. And my gosh, if I didn't need, it it was the spiritual kick in the pants that I needed to kind of undo a lot of the hardness that I had in my heart. Wow. Can, can you say more about that? It's so interesting. Oh yes, of course. Um, so six months in the morgue, um, now from the educational side, of course, I learned so much about the anatomy. I learned so much about, you know, what healthy organs versus unhealthy organs look like. I learned, you know, how certain disease processes occur. I learned a lot of technical information. But I also learned, I learned how to be more gracious towards people. I learned to pray for everyone, no matter the circumstances. And I really, it really forced me to accept that God is in control of a lot of things. Because after my time in the morgue, I came away with, you know, a lot of good spiritual tools, but I also came away with a lot of anxiety. I came away, you know, after having to document how every single person was found dead after having to read every suicide note, after having to, you know, read every interview with a family member. You know, I, I learned to feel for them in my heart, but at the same time, I grew so anxious about things. You know, one of the most common ways that people would be found um, unresponsive 
is that they just weren't answering their phones. They weren't answering texts, excuse me, they weren't answering texts and they weren't answering calls. And I was dating my husband um, at the time and we worked slightly different schedules. I would have to get up a little bit earlier than him. And I would always text him to make sure that he was up and getting ready for work. Um, and there were some mornings when he wouldn't text back. He wouldn't pick up the phone. And in the back of my mind, I knew, I knew that he was just dead tired. At this point in time, he was working as well as going to school, trying to finish up his degree quicker so that he could, you know, start making money so that he could provide for me and we could start our lives together. Um, but in the back of my mind, it was always just, oh, this is a morgue situation. Mm. You know, this is something terrible has happened. And it's taken a lot of time to unlearn that, but it was, it's been beneficial for me to have to unlearn that and to kind of put a lot in God's hands. And I also, like I said, I deepened my spiritual life and I began to feel so much love for these people and their families. Um, I didn't, I mean, I probably should have talked to my spiritual father before getting into the situation. Um, I didn't, but I did talk to him after the fact. And I just told him, father, I don't know. I don't know how to deal with this. I don't, you know, what can I do so that I don't feel hardened towards these people? And he said, well, one thing you can do you know, if you're upset by something, weep openly about it. And he's like, are you comfortable, you know, crying at your job? And I said, well, I have, you know, being in the morgue, you kind of have to garb up. You have the goggles, you have the mask, you have the hair bonnet and all that fun stuff. So if I were to cry, I don't think anyone would necessarily see me. And if they did see me, they didn't say anything. So I'm thankful for that. But, um, he just, he told me to cry openly about it, he, to have compassion and sympathy for these people. And he told me to pray for them. He's like, you know, their names, you're reading all of this information, you know, their family's names, you know, the situation that they were in, pray for them, intercessory prayer for all of those people who have reposed, you know, you might not be able to help them now but you know pray for them and their families and pray that they find comfort and solace in the lord mm -hmm. and i think that's the most active my prayer life has ever been in those six months the prayer felt almost constant as you know i was doing my job and taking notes i was just constantly praying for them praying for their families you know hoping that not hoping that I could do something, but hoping that whatever burdens that they had would be lessened. And I don't know, it was just, it, there were so many high points and low points that I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. It was truly a one-of-a-kind experience mm -hmm. and I'm forever grateful that I had it because otherwise I 
would probably still look down upon so many people who are suffering and look down upon so many people who, you know, haven't found Christ or don't go to church and this, that, and the other. And I, you know, I'm grateful that I don't feel like that. Otherwise I wouldn't know so many wonderful people and be able to share in this with them, you know? That's so beautiful. What would you say? I mean, maybe one day you'll write a blog post about death and how to, you know, how to look at it differently than how our culture looks at it, which is just like, don't think about it. And, you know, we all think we're going to live forever and that we're invincible and Mm -hmm. we don't even really, I mean, some of us think about it more than others, but some of us don't even really think about our parents, you know, the fact that one day we're going to lose our parents, maybe our spouse. And it's so scary for a lot of us to think about it. So we don't. So I don't know, what could you share about the importance of accepting death and from an Orthodox perspective, even maybe if you can. Mm-hmm. Um, the beauty of death is that it simplifies everything. In the end, when you're in your final moments here on earth, everything comes down to your relationship with God and all the good deeds that you've done in his name. And that's it. That's all that necessarily matters once you're dead. You know, money, material possessions, even your parents and your spouse. All that matters is your spiritual well-being and your relationship with God. And I think it gives us something to strive towards, to building up that relationship, to doing more and to putting ourselves out there you know, to kind of be seen and be heard and to help people. Um, Because too often, so many of those other material things get in the way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can work hard at your job so that you can, you know, buy this, that, and the other for your house. You can get a nice car. You can pay off loans. But at the end of the day, that's not what we're going to be judged on you know, how quickly you pay off your student loans, you know, how nicely you decorated your house. It it really just simplifies things in your mind to just stare death in the face and be like, okay, well, this person is dead. You know, everything that they've done in their life, you know, none of it really matters except for what was in their heart. And we can't truly know anyone's heart. And it's, death is just kind of the push that we need to make sure that we're living correctly. Because obviously we, deep down we know, we know we're not going to live forever. We know that there is a time and place where we will cease to exist on this earth. And what we're looking to obtain is so far beyond anything that we have here, you know, everything is just null and void. We're just, we're looking towards heaven. Mm -hmm. Death points us towards heaven. That's, that's really the long and short of it. Yeah. That's amazing. That's great. Um, I want to get to talking about your marriage and Mm -hmm. um, some things like that, but was there anything else you wanted to say about death or would you like to move on to the next topic? 
Um, I think I'm good on the death front. Okay. Um, I, I do plan on writing a blog post about it at some point in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, once I get more of my thoughts down on paper. Yeah. You're such a really amazing writer. I'm really enjoying the blog so far. And I'm going to put a link to your blog in the description for the audience to find it. Thank you so much. So um, you were recently married and your husband was not cradle orthodox like you. So tell us a little bit about how you met him and how he converted and what that was like for you to, to see that conversion. Okay. So uh, my husband and I actually met my first year of college. We we're both in the same sort of class path. Um, like I said, my college was an engineering school and our biology program just newly started. So there were maybe nine people in my major total and he was in biochemistry. So there were about 20 people in his major total. So we all had a lot of classes together. Oh, <laughs> cool. So, you know, we saw each other a lot. We were in class a lot. Um, And at this point in time, I was still very, my heart was still very hard towards people. And not only that, but I felt that everyone kind of had an agenda. And I was very wary around certain types of people, namely people who are overly friendly and overly nice. And that's exactly what my husband was. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I immediately, you know, I was just like, this guy seems sneaky. He seems weird. I don't know if I trust him entirely because he likes to recount all the time. You know, when he first started talking to me, he's, he would say, Oh, you know, I'd say, hi, I'm Seth. And, you know, I would just respond with one word answers like, Oh, hi. He's like, Oh, where you're from? Where are you from? And I'm like, Oh, I'm from here. And I would just not engage him in conversation at all. Um, About two years into college, we were in our genetics class. He, you know, asked me for some help with some extra credit while we were working on that. He asked if I wanted coffee. We went to a coffee shop. We talked. Um, And I found out he was Baptist. And I don't want to say that my mindset was kind of flirt to convert at that point, but it was kind of flirt to convert. Um, (laughs) And I, it was terrible. I was kind of like, oh, you know, this guy's Catholic, so he'd be easier to convert. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, finding out that he was Baptist was kind of strike number one. I was like, oh, this guy's Baptist. He would never convert to Orthodoxy. He, you know, <laughs> he's just one of those, you know, mainstream Bible thumper type guys. Mm-hmm. Not that into it. Uh, his second strike, he actually knew some of my family members used to play chess with them on their elementary school chess team. And I was like, oh, great. He knows, you know, my family. I wonder what he's going to think of me then. Not that my family's bad, but I was just like, oh, I don't like that fact. And then going to a very niche, nerdy engineering school, he was like, oh, do you want to, do you want to watch Star Wars with me at some point? And I'm like, no, strike three. I'm just, just not having it. Um, you don't like, and I feel bad. I didn't talk to him for a year after that. I actively avoided him for a year after that, which was kind of hard because we had classes together. (laughs) Oh my gosh. 
uh, it was terrible. And as I was going through, you know, I never had a relationship with a guy. I would go on dates here and there and try to feel people out. And I was like, no, not really. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that's not the type of person I want to marry. And my mom would ask me and she'd be like, oh, well, you know, out of all the guys that you've kind of assessed, which guy stands out the most? And I'm like, well, it's Seth because, you know, I was able to hold a conversation with him. He asked me questions about orthodoxy and actually seemed interested in discussing it. And, you know, he's actually pretty friendly, you know, in my time talking to him, I realized that he was actually a genuinely nice person. Um, but at that point in time, he had a girlfriend. Mm. And my mom was like, oh, well, you know, if it's meant to work out, it'll work out. And then, you know, a couple weeks later, uh, we're invited to a department mixer at his house because obviously we only have, you know, maybe 25 people in both departments. So it was very easy to all get together. And while he was there, he was like, you know, he was kind of flirting with me and I'm like, Oh, what happened to so-and-so? And he's like, Oh, well, she's out of the picture now. And from there, he invited me to his company Christmas party. So, you know, that happened. And then he hit a bear with his car. Oh my gosh. I don't know how that happened. He was fine. The bear was fine. He was able to drive the car back home. But um, he obviously needed help, you know, getting his car from the shop since he didn't have a car. So he asked me, like, hey, can you help me drive out here to pick up my car? And, you know, through these different small interactions, we started talking and getting to know each other more. And um, it was a couple days before Christmas. He was like, hey, I need help picking out something for my mom for Christmas. You should come help me. And afterwards, we went to the same coffee shop that we went to for our first date. And he said, Hey, I just wanted to let you know that I'm interested in you and that I would like you to be my girlfriend. I was like, Oh, that's nice. And I I laid it out for him. Like, okay, I just need to let you know that I'm dating for marriage. So if there's anything that you don't see in me as a potential wife, or if I don't see anything in you as a potential husband, this isn't going to work. And he was okay with that. So I love that. That's so, uh, I wish I had, I wish I had been that way when I was young. <laughs> I mean, I, I honestly, cause some of the other guys that I ever talked to, cause there, there was another guy who asked me to be his girlfriend and I kind of just was like, mm, no thanks. But, um, I honestly didn't even realize what words were coming out of my mouth. Oh. I was just, I just kind of vomited at him and he was like, oh, okay, that's fine. I agree with that. And had, had he been asking you anything about orthodoxy and wanting to try to understand it or anything like that? Um, he did ask me questions about orthodoxy, but being Baptist, a lot of it was to try to debate it. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And to try to, you know, draw parallels and create arguments and, like apologetics kind of like, was he trying to say that his faith was right? And maybe he was hoping you would convert to Baptist. (laughs) Yes. 
Yeah. Um, he was definitely hardcore into the apologetics. Um, mm-hmm. my father-in-law very much into apologetics. He kind of raised them to, you know, hone their arguments and be strong debaters, which I can appreciate because it's mm-hmm. important to be able to defend your faith. It is. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it was just kind of weird because being a cradle born Orthodox and that's the weird thing too. Growing up in an ethnic Orthodox church is very different than being in like an Orthodox church of America. Um, just because a lot of the emphasis does tend to get placed on the ethnicity over the Orthodoxy. Oh yeah. I've heard that actually. Yeah. So you know, they don't teach you Bible verses. Even a lot of Bible stories kind of got cut out. We learned some of the saints, not a ton of saints. We didn't necessarily learn about the sacraments. Um, And of course, when I got older, it just turned into a lot of um, philosophical arguments, you know, why you shouldn't do drugs, why you should be nice to people, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Meeting his family for the first time, I actually went to their Christmas Eve party just a couple days after he asked me to be his girlfriend. So that was interesting. Um, And I got to meet his entire family. And, you know, I sat and talked with his parents. And, um, you know, for the first couple of months, every conversation I had with his parents was very apologetical. You know, they would ask about intercessory prayer for those who have departed. and me being cradle born, not having, you know, read my Bible all the way through. They, they were spewing Bible verses at me saying, you know, oh, you know, why are you going to bother praying for someone after they're departed? Why are you going to bother baptizing your children when they're infants? You know, why do you worship paintings? Mm-hmm. And um, I really I have didn't have a defense. Did you, mm-hmm. at this time, did you know that the church came first? And then the Bible was canonized. And were you able to use that? Because that's how I see the the line about, oh, is that biblical? Oh, well, the Bible doesn't talk about that. So that's not, you know, that's not part of true Christianity. And and then these people don't understand that the church came first. We have holy tradition and holy scripture. Is that something that you knew about and that you were able to talk about? Yes, I definitely tried. Um, but for whatever reason, they had, they had a little bit of resistance to the church fathers and to the ancient church as a whole, Mm -hmm. um, being Baptist, they're just very wary about Catholicism Mm -hmm. and it probably shot me in the foot, but I think I kind of described orthodoxy as being close to Catholicism, Mm -hmm. uh, which they obviously probably didn't like. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, I, I tried my darndest Mm -hmm. and I would, you know, talk to my spiritual father at the time and be like, okay, this is what they're talking to me about. Can, can you help me along with this? And, you know, my in-laws were a bit resistant. Um, but luckily my husband was very interested in learning more so than debating. So he would come to church with me a lot Hmm. actually. And, um, we hadn't even been dating six months and he was at our Easter service at midnight, helping carry the epitaphion around the church, not necessarily knowing what he was doing, but, um, 
you know, he was, he was very eager and willing to learn. And I'm so grateful for that. Mm-hmm. And then what happened? And then, um, it's interesting. So we would kind of, well, we would go to the Orthodox church more so than the Baptist church. Um, and the couple of times that we went to the Baptist church, I was very uncomfortable. <laughs> um, and I mean, I get that they, they'll sing and they'll have their, their sermons and everything, which is totally fine. But one day I came in and it was a missionary Sunday and I was like, okay, cool. We'll get to hear about a different country, see how they're helping them to find Christ in this country. Um, the woman who came up and spoke was a missionary to Romania. (laughs) Oh, wow. Oh my gosh. Of all places. Yeah. And she was talking about how, you know, the, the communion is the thing that gets them. They're very, they get very hung up on communion and the icons. And she was talking about, you know, how it seemed kind of cult-ish and how they were kind of directing them towards more of a Western Christian way of life. Mm -hmm. And I almost had to walk out because I was livid. Yeah. Um, I know that communism kind of, I mean, it did dampen people's faith more so in the larger cities than it did in the outlying villages, of course. But, you know, there are churches in every large city. Outside of every small village, there are, you know, shrines of icons and crosses and lit candles. Orthodoxy is the state religion over in Romania. Mm-hmm. So why you're sending people over to Romania to be missionaries and spread the word of Christ, it was just baffling to me mm-hmm. because that's already a Christian country. Yeah. There, there are so many other places you could go. And I get the, you know, certain situations make it hard to get to certain places, but there's so many other places that could benefit so much more from you going there and evangelizing than Romania, a place that has churches all over the place. It, it just kind of blew my mind. But, um, after that, my husband and I were talking, he's like, you know, I get that this Western Christianity isn't the best, but I also don't know about orthodoxy entirely. So we should try to meet in the middle and go to, where did we go? He suggested an Anglican church, which I knew his parents would not like because it's way too close to Catholicism. Um, so we went to a Presbyterian church once. I, I kind of just tried to humor him. I'm like, okay, you can go and see how far a lot of these churches actually are from orthodoxy. Yeah. So we went and, you know, everything was going fine. And then the, I think they have priests in the Presbyterian church, but the priest comes out and he says, you know, oh Lord, we pray to you along with our brothers who know you by a different name. And that just kind of struck us as odd. We're like, we, we obviously do not believe in the same God that the Muslims do mm-hmm. or any other religion, creed, what have you. Yeah. Um, and, you know, my husband just looks at me and he's like, we need to leave. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we leave, we get in the car, we go over to my parents' house. You know, we're, we sat down at my dining room table and we were talking 
And he was like, yeah, well, we can try a different church next Sunday. And I'm like, nope, I am set on raising my children in the Orthodox church. Mm-hmm. And apparently that flipped a switch in his brain. He's like, okay, why does Orthodoxy matter so much to her? And that's when he really started to dive in and explore it a lot more. Um, and he started, since we were both in college, we went to a local OCF meeting. Um, and we met our current priest. And of course, my husband is talking theology with him, spitting back a lot of Baptist knowledge. And um, I, found out, I found out later, after my husband is converted, uh, my priest says, he's like, you know, Seth should be the poster child for Orthodox conversion. Because the first day I met him, I did not think he would ever be Orthodox. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. Yeah. My priest he was like, yeah, that was my success story. He was already, cause he was immediately trying to debate with him or what? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. So that was, how long ago was that? Oh, how long years? ago was that? Must've been like four, four years ago or something. Yeah. It was 2018. Um, cause I think it was shortly before my husband proposed um because he was getting more and more interested in orthodoxy and everything um so yeah even up till he proposed he was still very i don't want to say argumentative but he definitely likes to to debate Mm -hmm. um but you know a couple months later like i said he proposed and shortly thereafter, he was like, yeah, I talked to the priest. I'm looking to convert. Wow. And I was, I don't want to say I was shocked, but I was surprised at how out of the loop he had kept me in his, you know, desire to convert, mm-hmm. which, you know, I told him before, I'm like, I want to raise my kids Orthodox. If you still want to hold to these beliefs, that's fine, but we have to make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, and for him to just kind of turn around and be like, yes, I want to join this. You want to raise our children like this. So I want to pursue this. I want to learn more. And that's when I started, you know, going to the catechesis classes with him. Um, our church hosts metanoia classes six weeks in the spring and six weeks in the fall. And they go through all the sacraments and all the Orthodox beliefs. And You know, my mind was blown by these classes because even though I was born Orthodox, I had never known a lot of the reasons behind a lot of the different sacraments, Mm -hmm. you know, and the class on marriage was fantastic for us to, you know, be able to go through together, to be able to sit down next to each other and look at each other while the priest is talking and be like, okay, this is what we're getting into. This is what we're going to do and the kind of life that we're going to have together. Oh my gosh. And, and then did you meet with the priest together before you got married, like premarital meetings at all? <laughs> yeah, we had about four sessions of premarital counseling. Um, he obviously knew that we were going to the catechesis classes together. So he knew about my husband's desire to convert. And he knew that we already had gone through that lecture on marriage. Um, so during that time, we really just talked about the few big things that can really you know, throw off a marriage, um, namely about kids and finances. 
And we talked about that and we talked about the service itself and how it would proceed. Um, and yeah, it was, it wasn't as intense as I was expecting it to be. It was really just making sure that we were solid in our faith and that we both knew what each other wanted, Hmm. which we'd kind of been open about since day one. I think three months into our relationship, we were already picking out names for our kids. So it was cute. So we, we already kind of knew that we wanted the same things. And, uh, you know, those premarital classes just kind of helped. So let's see. Sorry, I'm trying to get the timeline straight in my head. That's okay. Take your time. Um, so my husband actually ended up proposing on Pascha of 2018. We got back from church. I was very tired. I really wanted to eat some meat. And <laughs> I feel bad because I was like running towards the door trying to get food. And he was like having to pull me back and slow me down. He's like, wait, wait, wait. Um, and he proposed and it was great. We were able to tell both of our families on Easter slash Pascha because it was on the same day last uh, that year. Oh. But um, so what did his parents, I'm sure his parents adored you because you're adorable but how did they feel about the orthodox part about it about like um luckily my father-in-law did have a couple discussions with uh one of the priests and he ultimately decided that while it wasn't enough to sway him that it wasn't inherently a bad religion like he deemed it a christian religion so I, th- I think that that's level ground to stand on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and, and it was really nice because on the day of our wedding, they actually wrote me a letter and gave it to me and told me that they were happy that I was marrying their son and that they were happy that I was joining their family. So it was really nice. Oh, that is, that's great. Mm-hmm. That makes me I, so I'm, happy. I'm really blessed that, uh, you know, everything worked out the way that it did and that I married into the family that I did and that everything kind of came to fruition, even though, you know, at the beginning, I didn't think it would when this weird Baptist guy was asking me to watch Star Wars. So, you know, I'm, I'm just so happy that things ended up the way that they did. And, you know, we got married and the Palm Sunday after we got married, my husband ended up being chrismated and we've, you know, been living our little Orthodox life ever since. Cute. That's so, that's so fun. So do you, um, do you read Orthodox books together and discuss church history and, you know, is it part mm-hmm. of like your discussions? I think that would be oh. Yeah, my husband loves diving into the church history. Um, We also have a lot of friends that are interested in church history. So sometimes it's a a hassle at coffee hour trying to pull them away (laughs) when we have things to do because they could just go on and on for hours. Um, I know my husband really loves St. Joseph the Hesychast and a lot of his writings. Um, He reads St. Joseph every day during his lunch. Wow. a lot of times I have all my books over here 
that I've been reading lately. Um, oh yeah. Tell I'm, us what you've been reading or what you recommend. Of course. Um, this is the morning offering by Abbott Trifon. Oh, I love him. I love him. I just posted in my telegram group, his recent video that he made about families. Did you see mm-hmm. that one about I saw that. children? And oh my gosh, it is so cute. Everybody follow Abbott Trifon. We love him. Mm-hmm. And I, I love his morning offering book. Cause it's literally daily devotions, you know, you can start from January 1st all the way to December 31st. There's a little reflection for every single day. And they're all, they're all very concise and pointed, you know, devotionals for daily life. And it's a really, I really like reading it in the morning, obviously. Um, Cause it's just a great way to start off your day. Um, I've just started the Holy Angels by mother Alexandra. Hmm. Um, I don't know that one. I've never seen that. Oh, really? Um, I love Mother Alexandra. She is um, she is actually Princess Ileana of Romania. Um, during World War II, they had to flee. Um, she ended up becoming a nun. I think she was... I don't know if she was an abbess. Uh, she founded the Orthodox Monastery of the Transfiguration in Elwood City, Pennsylvania. Wow. I don't know anything um, about her. That's amazing. I'll put links to these books in the description for the video. Okay, perfect. Um, I love this one. I love reading about um, angels and demons and everything, especially through an Orthodox lens, because um, there's so much misinformation out there in the world. <laughs> it kind of drives me bonkers. So she she goes through you know, pre-creation all the way through the Bible, every example of angels in the Bible, she covers in full. And I think she even recounts some of her personal experiences with angels. Um, because she's, you know, from the time she was young, she was a devout Orthodox Christian and, and an Orthodox princess, no less. So I definitely recommend this book. And then I think there's a biography of her that I don't have with me. But um, I definitely recommend that one as well. And then I have this guy from St. Vladimir Seminary Press, um, The Bible and the Holy Fathers. This is another one that has daily entries, um, daily Bible readings, and then the commentary from the Holy Fathers. Oh my gosh, I'm buying that. I'm going to see if my parish bookstore has that. That looks amazing. Oh, it's wonderful. It's fantastic. <laughs> and it's another one that you can just go through every morning, read and absorb and just, you know, you can really take it to heart. And the church fathers do a, such a good job of explaining everything and adding their own commentary. And then at the end, it has, um, you know, the church father, the book it's in, it has all the references in it to all of the church father's writings. So it's another really good uh, tool whether you're Orthodox or if you're a catechumen or you're just interested. So thank you for those great recommendations. Of course. I want to go back a little bit to um, the blog post that I read about your quote, jealousy Mm -hmm. of your husband's conversion. What did you mean by that? So jealous in the best way possible. 
um, I'm just mad that I've had orthodoxy for all these years that I'm cradle born. And I've only just now been able to experience the fullness of the faith, you know, going through my husband's catechesis with him was super eye opening, And I was able to learn so much and glean so much and kind of expand my horizons. And it wouldn't have been possible if, you know, I hadn't married him and I hadn't gone through that with him. But at the same time, I'm just kind of kicking myself for, you know, having everything at my fingertips because obviously so many people don't know about orthodoxy. I had it and I have had it for a long time and I couldn't see the forest through the trees. And we have so many converts at our church and so many catechumens at our church. I think our church is close to, if not more than 50% converts. And um, just listening to all of their stories and everything that they've been through. It's, it's wonderful to see how each and every one of them has found orthodoxy. And it's wonderful to watch them experience it. You know, watching my husband take communion for the first time as an Orthodox Christian and fully understanding that that's truly the body and blood of Christ and to truly be in communion with God, you know, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And not to say that I disagree with infant baptism and offering children communion, but there's, there's something to be said about actually understanding what you're doing. Because for the longest time, communion was just a thing that we did. You go up, you say your name, they give you communion. That's it. You know, there, there's no, even in the Greek church that we went to for a little while, we didn't necessarily do pre-communion prayers out loud together. They were just on a sheet in the backs of the pews and you could, you know, pick them up and read them beforehand if you wanted. Um, now at the church that we're going to, we say our pre-communion prayers aloud together as kind of a way to prepare. And, you know, during the, uh, the catechesis classes, we were also encouraged to take extra measures to mentally and spiritually prepare before communion, to actually be aware of what you're participating in. And for so long, I hadn't been mentally and spiritually active in my faith. I had been participating, but I wasn't all there. And to kind of have that be renewed for me and to be able to kind of re-explore all of this stuff, it's been the biggest blessing. And like I said, I'm jealous in the best way possible because I can't participate in discovering it for the first time. But I can definitely participate in rediscovering it now mm-hmm. and going through it with my husband and then raising our children in such a manner to where they understand the fullness of the faith from the time that they're small. Mm-hmm. That's so amazing. That's so beautiful. My godmother tells me now and then that, or when she introduces me to someone at church, she'll she'll include that, that getting to know me and watching my videos and, and our conversations and the texts we share with one another. She just sees my enthusiasm and, and she's a very godly faithful woman. I'm not saying that she's not, or that she doesn't know much about the faith or anything like that, but it, she will say when she introduces me to someone that being friends with me and watching my enthusiasm just kind of like gets her 
excited. And my priest even said something recently in his homily that he was inviting the cradle Orthodox or the ones who've been Orthodox for a long time to really take time to meet the new um, converts and the, and the people that are thinking about converting to hear that, like you said, hear their stories about how they came to this church and what they love about it. And um, he was just saying how important it is because it kind of like brings oxygen to the blood of the church. And uh, mm-hmm. I thought that was really great. And the people at my parish are so friendly and they've been introducing themselves to me. I've only been there for a few months, so I'm still really new. I don't know everybody yet. And um, just seeing how open and friendly and welcoming they are. And they ask me questions and, and it's sincere. It's like, they really want to know what drew me to the faith. And it's just a, a really fun conversation to have with people that have been part of the church their whole lives or many, many years. Oh, I couldn't agree more. It's, it's wonderful to see what draws people in because there's, there are so many things that, you know, we just don't notice in our day to day, you know, they're like, Oh, I, I love the smell of incense. You know, when I walked in, I smelled it for the first time and I was transported or I saw the icons and I saw the candles and I saw the chalice. We're like, wow, you know, all these little details that we become so blind to and all of these, you know, wonderful hymns and even the structure of the service, Mm -hmm. you know, it, sometimes it can seem repetitive, but you know, having people reiterate all of these things only helps, you know, I mean, it helps people like me who, you know, sometimes feel blind to everything that's happening. Um, But, you know, it helps everyone around us to just put that out in the open and say, oh, you know, this, this is a wonderful thing. And I want to share it with you. Yeah. That sort of, that act of communion is just so beneficial in, you know, elevating everyone and bringing everyone closer to Christ. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, the last topic I wanted to discuss with you, because we kind of emailed about this and I want to hear what you have to say about finding the miraculous in everyday life from an Orthodox perspective. Is that how you would say it? Or what would you like to say about that? Yeah. Um, Like I said before, my background is in biology. Um, I know a lot of different, you know, I'm aware of the science behind a lot of things. But the main reason I gravitated towards the sciences was when I was struggling as a teenager trying to reconcile faith and science. Uh, One of the priests that I was talking to told me that, you know, faith and science aren't mutually exclusive. They've never been and they never will be. There's no one test that can disprove God. Mm -hmm. And that kind of stuck with me through all of my studies and everything. And I was able to, you know, learn about different pathways and learn about, you know, the structure of DNA and how cells can repair themselves and 
about all these wonderful, miraculous things that are going on in our bodies that we're completely unaware of that all have the hand of God guiding them forward. You know, the, the process of berries ripening on the bush, you know, the process of rainbows forming in the sky. Um, the fact that your body is probably killing hundreds of cancer cells right now without you even being aware of it. Those are everyday miracles that we all kind of take for granted. And I think it's really important that we come to realize that miracles happen every day. Um, of course, they're not going to be grandiose gestures. Angels aren't going to start coming down and helping people. But, you know, the fact that we manage to get to and from places safely every day, the fact that our our loved ones come home safely to us, the fact that we're even able to retain information in our brains, that's a miracle. There, there are so many, there's so many things that shouldn't be possible that are possible. And it's, it's kind of baffling to me that people will err on the side of millions and millions of statistical anomalies and say that there is no God, that the universe was, you know, just the byproduct of an explosion and that one day it'll all shrink back up again and nothing will have ever mattered. Um, you know, that's putting a lot of faith in a lot of different statistics. I honest to goodness think it makes more sense to have an intelligent creator whose hand is in literally everything, who placed the earth exactly where it is so that we could exist, to create the heavens and the earth and the waters to create all the plants and animals, to create us so that we're able to think and to be in communion with one another. You know, we're created in his image and likeness, unlike any other creature on earth. It's, it's baffling to say that that's just all due to random chance. And I'm just amazed by all of the fine details that have been put into God's creation. That, you know, everything that we're doing is a miracle. The fact that you and I, being on opposite sides of the country, are able to sit here and have this conversation is miraculous. You know, the fact that, you know, yourself, a bunch of people watching this, everyone at our churches has found orthodoxy is miraculous. Yeah. There are so many good things in the world that we just take for granted because they happen every day. And I think it's, it's important to count those as miracles because one bad thing happens and your entire day is ruined. But when you stack that one bad thing up against all of the miracles that go unseen every single day, they outweigh it a million to one. Yeah. You're making me cry, Mia. I'm sorry. (laughs) Don't be sorry. And I mean, everything you're saying is just so, so moving. And um, to have this kind of wisdom and perspective at such a young age, I just, I think it's a miracle (laughs) because we live in a world that's trying to teach us the opposite of what you just said, who wants us to only focus on the material world 
and on ourselves and how to make more money and all those things that we talked about in the beginning of this conversation. Um, we're just constantly bombarding, bombarded with these messages that those are the things that are important. And um, yeah, I'm, I can't wait to rewatch this and uh, <laughs> listen to that again because, and, and I really hope that this video shows up on people's recommended watch list so that they can hear what you just said. It's just um, so moving and you're so, you're so right. (laughs) You really have a gift with words. Thank you. Yeah. I'm really glad we met. Me too. (laughs) This has been such a fantastic experience. Oh, well, um, anything else? Oh, I know what I wanted to ask you for for the audience who have maybe a spouse or a boyfriend or girlfriend or even a friend or family member who, um, well, no, specifically like a love relationship, I think is important. Um, and one person, you know, the, the other person is not orthodox and maybe not even really open to going to divine liturgy. Um, like maybe just a little bit of like, they have a little bit of interest or maybe they'll even go to divine liturgy, but that's where it, where it stops. Um, every situation is different, but um, I know for myself, I, I just let myself be open to however the Lord would reveal himself to my husband and it's going great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I know it's possible. And then I have friends at church. There are many, many people at church who one person found the faith and the other person was like, no, thanks. And now they're both baptized. And I mean, we just never know. So Mm -hmm. um, what would you say to somebody in a position like that? Um, I'd say the first thing to do is to pray. Um, I probably should have prayed more in my relationship just, you know, for the Lord to guide me. But I know for a fact that my mother was, and I am forever grateful for her prayers Mm -hmm. um, because everything worked out as God intended. Um, The second thing I would recommend is to be around more Orthodox people just in general. Um, I know I talked about the OCF group that my husband and I went to, and I think that's where he really started to gain interest was talking to more like-minded individuals, you know, cause we had, even in that group, there were a lot of people that went to our same university that we didn't even know because we were on off terms. Um, but, you know, getting to meet a lot of the guys in that group and being able to hold discussions with them really helped him. And I think he was able to glean a lot from that. And even I was able to glean a lot from that. Like I said, being able to go through this whole process with him, it was very eye-opening. And I definitely think that, you know, if we hadn't met those friends all those years ago at OCF, I don't know if my husband would have become Orthodox at least as quickly as he decided to. Mm -hmm. Um, Third, I definitely recommend sitting down with your priest. There were definitely a lot of things that were hashed out over dinner with a priest that helped us to gain some even footing because in the Protestant tradition, there are words that they use 
that either we don't use or that mean different things to us. Um, because, you know, in talking with my husband, baptism in the Orthodox sense means something very different than baptism in the Protestant sense. Oh yeah, for sure. And, you know, being able to nail down the little differences like that really helped us to find some common ground and actually have discussions about faith as opposed to just kind of, you know, bantering back and forth about it. So those are definitely my three recommendations prayer, talking to other Orthodox people and talking to your priest. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you for everything today. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, this was really fun. And (laughs) um, so I want my audience to know they can find your blog and your Instagram in the description below. Please leave a comment if you have time and, um, you can ask me a question or just leave a comment for her. I would really appreciate that. And any last words you want to share with the audience, Mia? Um, to sum it all up, you know, no matter where you are in your journey to orthodoxy, I really pray that you're able to find the fullness of the faith and that you're able to surround yourself with, you know, right believing Orthodox Christians. And I'm praying for every single one of you. Oh, beautiful. All right. Well, thank you again, Mia. Thank you. um, To my audience, again, uh, thank you so much for your support and for sharing my videos with your friends and family. The number of subscribers just keeps going up every day. It makes me so happy that my interviews are going out in the world and being watched by more and more people. I have a lot of great guests coming up, of course. So hit the bell so that you get notified when an interview goes live. And we do a YouTube premiere, which is super fun because you can join us in the chat and say hi, ask questions. And we're just having so much fun with that. And I typically do that at 5 p.m., usually on a Tuesday, Thursday, or Friday, but it, it, it changes and that specific time. You can follow me on Instagram, as I said before, at a devotional heart. And if you are a woman who would like to join a community of Orthodox women and inquirers, please send me a message on in Instagram to my DMs and we can chat. I, I vet every single person. So make sure you have a um, some kind of account either on Instagram or Facebook so that I can check out your to make sure you're a real person, a real woman. And um, anyway, um, I guess that's it. And I will see you guys next time. God bless.